We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hi, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Lisa Cole. Lisa has recently been appointed assistant coach at NWSL Club Houston Dash. She has worked at every level. It would be a whole new podcast if I was to to read out her resume. Um, So she's worked at every level of the game in this country. She's also worked at the international level. Phenomenal experience. Uh, We're going to talk about mentorship. Are coaches hungry enough to learn? Looking at it from a different perspective. Are they getting enough time in the grass? What's the transition like from a playing perspective between college and pro level? What's the differences between coaching a U14 player and coaching a pro player? And then you will never, ever, ever have heard an experience or an insight like she is going to describe with her coaching the Papua New Guinea national team. This is unbelievable. So enjoy it. There's plenty in this. Uh, Have fun listening. And please spread the word. Give it a like. Uh, Shoot us a tweet about it. And enjoy joining us today Lisa um, first question I have for you from a really I'm intrigued by this here just from a personal point of view you've been involved through mentoring through NSCAA USSF English FA uh, what was your best experience with a mentor and why um, I think my best experiences have been with people that um, uh, I've known personally and ha- have been able to develop a relationship with and uh, Tony DeChico was obviously my greatest mentor um, late in my career, and um, that developed over time. I mean, I began doing camps with him in 96, and then um, obviously with his passing this la- la- last year, I've lost him as a mentor. But I think those those mentorships that begin over time, you start as a somebody eager and somebody that's um, looking for people that are the best, and then um, over time you develop a friendship and it's a little more give it, uh, give and take. And, um, those relationships that you build, it's not, um, it's authentic, you know, like, um, you have a general care for them and they care for you. And I think, um, it lasts over time. I've had other mentors in my uh, career. Marsha McDermott has helped me a ton. I was lucky to have a college coach and, uh, Dr. Colleen Hacker, who, um, continues to, uh, drive my, um, career and help me develop into a good human being. So I think it has to be about relationship based. It's not a just come in and take something, but both parties need to be invested in building a good relationship. I want to go back to what you were saying there, um, just on the relationship thing. You mentioned the give and take in the relationship. Like we're not, from from a personal point of view, I don't think we get that at all. I think you know once once I put this mentor thing out, I think we're almost conditioned to think that all right, I'm going to get a mentor. What can I get from this mentor? Can you give an example or or kind of talk about what ways young coaches can give to a mentor and and add value to that there? Yeah, I think um, you know being somebody that is willing to um, 
invest in putting time into being in and around those people. I mean, my relationship with uh, Tony started by me volunteering to come and work his camps. I just want, I was willing to come and pick up cones, you know, can I come and help with this? So um, there was periods of time where I was doing grunt work for him, helping him do this. But then that meant that I was in and around the national team. So I think finding ways to be valuable to your mentor um, gives, gives you value in that relationship. And um, it'll also give you experience um, in ways that you'll um, see rewards later. In your opinion, what is missing from coach education, coach development? What are we, what are we overlooking? Um, I think there's a couple of things. I think one is we're in a rush uh, to go get all these licenses and to check all these things off of a box. And the truth is, um, if you're doing a good job, you're always learning in coaching. I'm still learning, you know. Um, all of us are still always evolving. If you stop learning, you kind of stop growing. And I think so it's not always about you know, checking all these boxes. I got my A license. I've got this, I've got that. It's about just getting out there on the field and getting experience. And I think, um, especially in the college game right now, that's a struggle for young coaches. I think college coaches need to make sure that they are mentoring, um, their assistants and that they're finding ways for them to coach. Cause a lot of those assistant positions in the college game right now don't have a lot of coaching involved in them. And so, are you allowing them to coach in the community? Are you forcing them to be a part of um, maybe some ODP stuff or other opportunities that uh, go around? Because the truth is you're only as good as the opportunities you have. And if I'm never on the field coaching, I can't develop my craft. And I think um, just being a little more patient in coaching education and thinking uh, thinking through that it does require experience and um, – that it's a it's a it's a journey it's not a one-week course and i think u.s soccer is changing some of the ways they're doing things and i think um that is evolving but i think people need to be a little bit more um aware that it takes time and that we're always evolving the game's always evolving as well every everyone seems to be in a rush like the first thing you said there wasn't that everyone seems to be in a rush to be Jose Mourinho or Pep Guardiola or whatever it is, whenever we're overlooking a wet Tuesday night at your club, the impact you can make with those players, is, is that's where you're going to make it. Yeah, I just don't think that we put enough value in, um, especially assistant coaches being in charge of a session and running a good session and connecting with players is a craft now. Being able to motivate players and get the best out of them um, means you have to be good again about building relationships. So um, there's nothing like getting out on the field and doing it yourself. And it doesn't matter if it's a youth team or a college team or, or something, but I, I would tell young coaches, you know, put it out on a piece of paper. How many times are you coaching in a week? You know, how many times are you coaching in a month? And I bet you a lot of them aren't on the field enough um, right now. Uh, moving to your so you, you've had an unbelievable experience at every level of the game we talked a little bit earlier just off uh, before we started recording on on the challenges that that uh, at the pro level 
what would you say is the you know the biggest challenge for a college player who's coming out you know at 22 our development here is far later so instead of breaking through the professional level at 17 18 in the in in Europe which they do we're coming through at you know a female player is coming in at 22 23 what's the biggest challenges at that stage of their career yeah i think it's a couple things i think it's a speed of play just being able to play um, as quickly as they need to play adapting to different coaching because throughout the league there's different uh, coaches with different philosophies. So based on the team that they're in, um, how they'll play may be different than they're used to and being able to find um, a place in that. And I think the biggest thing for me is just being consistent day in and day out. I think in the college game you have um, some games where, you know, you're going to win that game probably – pretty handily regardless of what happens. There's some top teams or some bottom teams or some middle teams. Um, in the in the league, even the bottom teams, because of the draft and the way the salary cap and everything is, is that any team on any day can beat top to bottom any team. And so being consistent is um, something I think sometimes young pros have a trouble with. And then just the day-to-day of it. It's, it's a longer season. Um, taking care of their bodies, making sure they're getting proper sleep, proper nutrition, just um, really being in a, like deciding on a better lifestyle that will help them be consistent and have um, a long career is something that takes time for them to develop. Mm -hmm. Do you think we're challenging players enough at the college level, the top players? I think in some programs it's happening. I think in some programs it's, I think it's tough across the board in some ways, because um, I know even when I was coaching in college, you know, you kind of have players that are, you know, your top 5% and then you have your bottom 5% and then you have a bunch of players in the middle or whatever. And so to keep those players that are really on their cutting edge every day that are at that elite level um, can be hard because the environment doesn't ask them, doesn't demand that from them all the time. Um, but the best players will find a way to um, make those challenges happen, and the best coaches do that as well. Um, so, again, they have to be in the fr- frame of mind to compare not themselves against their teammates, but to compare, okay, where do I want to be? And, and it is what I'm giving in training every day um, getting me there. And so um, you can definitely see across – the uh, coaches who does a really good job of that um, in preparing pros. What's the challenges of, of coaching at the professional level? Because you look at it and, you know, outside looking in, you've got great players, you've got 24 hour access to them. You've got clubs that are built and structure that have bigger soccer budgets, I suppose. What are the drawbacks? There've got to be some, what are the drawbacks? Um, I don't know if I'd call them drawbacks. I think for me, it's, um, there's just, there's just challenges with the players, right. Um, in some ways in managing their different personalities. Um, you know, sometimes you have, uh, a couple players, you know, four or five players that are used to a team kind of revolving around them. And now you've got to put them on the field together and, uh, make something work. So, getting real buy-in for players, especially um, later in their careers when they have a way that they'd like to play, you know, they they feel like, oh, well, I work best in this system. I work best in this position. And so um, 
you know, when it's easy when you agree with that and that's how you want to play, but it's different, difficult sometimes when you're like, look, you know, based on all the pieces we have, maybe we need you to play a little bit differently than you're used to be playing. And so um, getting buy-in for that is sometimes, um, it's not difficult. It's just a challenge that you have to um, face. And, um, you know, they want, stars want to score goals and they want to be, so so giving up some of that is sometimes um, difficult for them if they have to play a little bit more of a role player in some of your teams. So um, that's an adjustment, I think, for players at times. But Again, it's just every day managing from top to bottom, the stars, managing the players that are our role players. Um, you know, we have the international um, dates where the league is not always off. So we're playing games during those times. Are those players that have been sitting prepared to go in and get a result for you? So those are some of the challenges that you have to manage that are different from um, the college game. Yeah, we had um, Tiffany Weimer, I said, yeah, was, was on earlier and she was talking about the how inflexible some players are today and how it was exactly what you're saying mentally and even positionally where if they think it's all about them at a certain level, it's, it's more, they're more rigid and, and more unwilling to change and, and take on new roles. And she was talking about the importance of you know, re- redefining yourself as a person and as a player as your career goes on. What what do you think we could do at a, y- a young level to to help that? Yeah, I think too many times. I even have it um, here in the club that I work for. They, you know, players twelve and they think they play one position. Uh, what What do you mean you play one position? <laughs> I always say, are you a soccer player? Or you're not a soccer player because a soccer player can play anywhere on the field and you're going to have certainly strengths and weaknesses and you're going to lean towards one position or another. But um, yeah, you look at the evolution of an outside back for me, if you're, if you play outside mid or winger position, you should also be able to play back. Those should be interchangeable positions. Either can play on the flank now or you can't because look at outside backs today. Look at what they're doing. Mm. They're getting forward. They're part of the attack. So for me, I just feel like um, they need to be less rigid in their thinking and um, to be flexible. And um, that certainly is a problem. And I think it does start in the youth game Uh, too often because it's easier to win games. You know, we've stick players in one or two positions and we have them play there because that's how we're going to get results. I, I think that's a mistake. We need to make sure players are playing in multiple positions um, up and through their career. So when they get to college, when they get to the pros, um, they're just more um, eager to try new things and more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. How, how would you coach a professional player different from a U14 player? Well, it's funny. I, early in my career, people always ask me that. And I, I, I thought it would be different. I thought it would be more different. But um, I think you're... Um, with pro players, you're honest. I think that that's the best way to go is just, just let them know where they are, what they need to improve. And I think you want to be that way with um, kids, but you, um, don't want to be too harsh either with pros. Maybe it's like, look, cause I think they have control. I think pr- pros, you can say to a pro, look, here's exactly where you are today. Here's what we need out of you. And then they make a decision for themselves. Where with you players, 
you maybe don't want to be that direct. You want to, but I think being honest with players in general is a good thing. Um, so I think that's a little bit of a difference. Um, there's times with um, pro players, I think that um, your demands can be very, very high because that's the level they're at. Where with um, youth players, you want to still be teaching um, and making sure that they're finding success in whatever you're um, organizing. Or sometimes um, with the pros, you almost have to prove, provide them opportunities to um, show that they can get to the level or can't, mm -hmm. you know, and where it's very clear on the field um, when you walk out of training who got there today and who didn't. Um, and then that leaves them questions to answer themselves. You know, do they, um, do you see them out doing extra? Do you see them do other things where I think in the youth game, you want to find, have players always leave finding success on the field. So I think that's a bit different, but a lot of similarities, to be honest, mm -hmm. a, lot, a lot more similarities than you would think. Yeah. Um, Cause players are players and they want to come out, um, and in general, they want to come out and do well. They they all want to come out and perform well. Um, maybe not always in your system or the way you want them to do it, but um, you know everybody is eager to please. I think. You mentioned earlier your your amazing mentorship with the great Tony DeChico. I find it fascinating that you know you, you mentioned that you you kind of saw him as that earlier on early on in your coaching career. You saw him. As a, as a mentor, I was wondering, did you target him? Did you set, you know, was there a process where you sat down and said, all right, who do I need to get myself around? Um, and then just if you could elabor elaborate on, you know, what, what was, what did you, do you think set Tony apart from, from so many other coaches? Yeah, I mean, for me, he was um, somebody that I had on my radar and I, um, was fortunate. Um, Colleen Hacker, who is my college coach, she was a sports psychologist for the women's national team with Tony. So when they were in Seattle or other opportunities, I was always bugging her to um, make an introduction. Mm. I was like, I want to know that guy. And uh, so, and then when his camps came out to Portland to the Nike campus, I went and um, I wrote him a really embarrassing letter, basically begging uh, to volunteer and pick up cones and everything. So I drove down to Portland and just hung out with him. And I, yeah, I mean, I purposely looked at it and said, okay, who are the good coaches in this area? So um, in Seattle, there were a lot of good coaches in that area now, especially looking back. Um, so I was fortunate to have people in and around me. But for me, um, yeah, he was just somebody that I – especially from a goalkeeping standpoint, I just thought his camps were doing it better than anybody else at that time. You know, he's obviously the national team coach. And um, so I was fortunate. I was able to go work that camp and then I needed to do an internship. He asked me to come and do an internship with him there. And then um, his and I's relationship grew from there. And I think it's important. You do, you do target people. You can go, okay, look around and say, who, who's, who's doing it the way you want to be doing it? And uh, who's good in your area and then make time to volunteer, get yourself in and around them. And then it'll turn into something um, if the connection's there and if there's value from both sides. And that's fortunately for me what happened with Tony is 
Um, he really just took um, an interest in me, and I was fortunate to be able to be in and around him for as long as I was. And I think the thing that sets him apart from everybody else is just um, how much he cared. He w It really was about relationships um, for him. I mean, it's been a rough year this year, but um, the amount of stories of people um, talking about, hey, the one time they met the guy and the next year they meet him, they meet him in the airport and he remembers their name or he remembers that they um, really like baseball because he was a big baseball guy or he just really took time to know you outside of the game and outside of things. And I think his players say that, uh, coaches that have been in and around him will say that. Um, that he just never was too big f for the game. The guy was amazing in the game, but he was just always humble about it and uh, willing to share. I think um, his ability to share his experiences with others was really key as well, that um, he was never too big for anybody. You know, you're a U10 coach struggling with your team. He'll sit down and help you. You know, you're struggling your national team coach struggling with a UT, uh, under 20 team he'll make time to watch video with you I mean it didn't matter if you want to talk about the game um, didn't matter what level you're um, coaching at he wanted to help you be better so he doesn't he, I don't think he gets credit for you know and, and I didn't know Tony personally but I don't think he gets credit for almost being a, a leader in terms of bringing in psychology to the game because we almost look at you know the Spanish the French the whatever South American coaches as you know they've done this they brought that I came into coaching around 2004 2005 um, and I felt that Bill Beswick was bringing in so much stuff about you know awareness to psychology and the mental side of the game but when I started reading you talked about Colleen Hacker and Tony's work together. They were doing that 10 years before with the national team, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, they did lead the way there. And I think um, a credit to Tony, like he knew when where his weaknesses were, you know, and he, he put good people around him. And, he, you know, um, he Colleen really helped him and, and he helped her, you know, kind of find that balance between how do we help these um, – Olympic and um, World Cup players become champions and um, develop that unique um, bond that those uh, women had during that period of time. And the national team's done some of it post him, other times not as much and stuff. And, and you can see the difference. Um, but yeah, I believe he was ahead of the game there, um, both by bringing in um, – Colleen full-time and having her be a part of his staff, which was unheard of at that point in time, um, to bring in a sports psychologist was unique. Yeah, that book, uh, Colleen and Tony's book, Catch Them Being Good, is one of, like, it's, every coach should read that there. It's amazing. Yeah, I agree. Um, your your work with the, on the international team with the Papua New Guinea U20s, different type of environment with in terms of access to the players so when you get a game or a camp you've got limited time with them what what do you prioritize when you meet up is it chemistry is it the tactical shape is it the physical assessment or what's your big priorities yeah um well Papua New Guinea was unique I did get them for um February to November I did we did bring them into residency um because there was a couple challenges one, um, 
I needed to get them healthy. You know, that we brought them in. Some of them had malaria. Some of them had malnutrition. Um, you know, you're, they're living in a, uh, undeveloped country where there's just a lot of issues, um, in and around just living, you know, or staying alive in that country. So, um, I was fortunate to have control over them, but getting games, obviously being in Papua New Guinea, no one wants to come to Papua New Guinea and flying anywhere is a big cost and, um, just a long travel. So we didn't, weren't able to get too many games. So the first thing for me was to get everybody healthy, um, to get their nutrition up. Then we needed to be fit. I don't think we ever got to 90 minutes fit. If you, um, look at any of the games, um, we basically bled goals. We could play for 30 minutes and then we could have a hat. Then we struggled for the last 15 we kind of recap and then we could play for maybe another 30 minutes and then we bleed goals again. Um, we just never really got 90 minutes fit, but that, that just be, is you fitness is layered over time and you can't do that in six months or nine months um, with a team, but we got them as fit as we could. And then we worked technically with them. And then just the big thing for me was for us to, collectively know how we were going to defend and how we were going to try to counter when the opportunity pre presented itself. And if we could do those two things then we would be okay in the world cup, we, we were, you know, fighting against giants. That was the first event those players have ever played in. So just think about that. Like the first event you're ever going to play in 11 v 11 full time, all of that. And it's against the best in the world. So we asked a lot of those players there. Um, but it was a remarkable experience. A lot of talk about just empowering women. It's the first time those women have been told that they're valuable. It's the first time that they've been um, able to speak their minds and have an opinion. So just watching them grow as people was really valuable for me. Um, and tremendous experience. But... Um, a lot of challenges there in Papua New Guinea. Yeah, must must give you incredible perspective to have. I mean, we talk about you know the, the lifestyle management and nutrition in the game, and we look at or we th we think of you know sports drinks, you know your pre-game meals, and and you're dealing with malnutrition. Like that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it was um, it was funny. The first team meal we had, um, I was so mad. I, they go and they serve themselves, right? That's traditional. There's a buffet up there. They go, they serve themselves. And we're maybe 10 players in. There's 20 or no, probably, I guess, at that time, like 32 players. And the half the food's gone. Like some of the food is literally gone. Their plates are mound. They're used to maybe getting one meal, every big meal every other day. So they didn't have any idea. Like they're like taking as many everything and anything and when they're eating, their heads down, their hands are around their plate, and they're literally shoving it in because they don't know when they're going to eat next. And so I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> well, first of all, none of them are going to get to eat because you guys have been so selfish. What are we doing here? But then, you know, as they, you think about it from a cultural standpoint, you know, they're trying to survive here. So we had to go to – I had to teach them about proportions – you know, and that you can, you eat. And then if you're, you wait for five minutes, if you're still hungry, you can get up and go get something else. 
I mean, it was just unique challenges, unique challenges in the group. So. That's, a, that's, a, that's unbelievable. Puts my problems of today in perspective, that's for sure. I look at my list now going, well, maybe that's not as important as I think they are. Um, all right, last one for you. Sure. We're, obviously, we're delighted to have you involved in the Modern Soccer Coach Mentorship Program. What can a young coach expect from working with you? Um, well, <laughs> I mean, good or bad, I kind of have um, high standards. I think uh, that's always a good thing, and I'm, I'm pretty honest and uh, direct, so um, that'll be good or, or bad. But I think, um, you know, I care about this game. I care about who are the next um, uh, coaches coming up in this game. I think we've lost our way a little bit in um, being really – feeling like it's about us and I think we need to give the game back to the players and we need to talk about how to do that and how to manage players in a proper way and I think um, you know I'm 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 excited about seeing what um, young people's challenges are coming up in the game I'm sure they're different than some of the challenges I had because now you have uh, unlimited access to resources online and here and there and it seems like there's information everywhere, but figuring out what's best for players and how to, um, I think that's really the key. It's not all gimmicks and stuff. It's, you got to go out there and learn about your players. You really got to be able to connect with them. And then once you've done that, then you'll be surprised what you can get out of them. And so for me, I always think about it is I want to help players reach their potential. And I want to do the same with this mentoring program is how can I help them as a coach get to where they want to be and help them reach their potential in the game. First class, Lisa, thank you so much for your time today and for getting involved in the project. And I think everyone's going to be really excited once they hear this and, and obviously getting that uh, content from you from the next six, six months. I think there's a lot of coaches that can benefit not just directly from the mentorship program, but hopefully the, the kind of the serialization of it over the course of it. I think coaches can take so much from, from yourself and from the other mentors. So thank you and thanks for getting involved. No, thank you for uh, starting it. I think it's a great thing and I'm excited to be involved. Thanks so much to Lisa for her time and insight there. Some amazing stuff, especially when you think about, like I said, the problems you think you have about facilities or maybe we could get heart rate monitors or GPS or different analysis programs. And then Lisa sharing about yeah, malnutrition and, and things that we take for granted on a major level that other countries and other groups of players um, have never seen before. So uh, they also, I think the biggest part that, that I took from it was that, that insight about are we, you know, reflection piece, are we getting enough training on the field, are we getting enough experience as head coaches, as college coaches, as assistant coaches, where are we growing? Are we growing by reading? Are we growing by watching? Are we growing by working? Uh, and we need to be doing probably more of the third one and you know, if we want to be a top top coach we've got to be out on the field getting experience to see what works with teams what doesn't work with teams and then building that relationship and as Lisa said you know the art of connecting with players is a craft right now and I think that is so well put so I got an awful lot out of it I hope you did um, if you enjoyed it please give us a rating a little five star review would go down very very nicely uh, and a little tweet about it just to help spread the word um, we're still looking at promoting the podcast as much as possible. Got some great guests coming up. 
been fortunate enough to have some great guests as well so i hope you're enjoying it i appreciate you taking the time and listening um, if you have any questions or any input please shoot me a tweet at gary carnina on twitter or an email gary at modernsoccercoach.com always looking to grow it always looking to improve it i can't do it without you guys so thanks very much have a good one thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach kerneen on facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com